right, Matthew chapter 20, and uh, we're down at verse number 16 from last time. So we're going to pick up here, and, and again, we, last time we came out of chapter 19 there with the 12 apostles sitting on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes, and uh, then them having the authority and the power over the Gentile, the nations out there. And then we came down through, uh, through verse 15, 16, and the parable there of the laborers in the vineyard and that issue there as far as that issue of service and that's the point here in all of this. Now when you come into verse 16, so the last shall be first and the first last for many be called but few chosen. And uh, this verse, uh, we're going to kind of, I know we talked a little bit about it last time, but we're going to clean it up uh, here uh, a little bit, because uh, this verse gets pulled out of its context, and uh, it gets abused because of the issue there about first and the last. First shall be last, and last shall be first, and many be called, but few chosen. So you've got all of these different doctrinal ideas being yanked out of this verse. And uh, this is the interpretation of what's going to happen here uh, in, in the parable. And, and, and again, the thing of it is, when you come down through this, is when he says there, the last shall be first and the first last, what he's talking about is that you, you, the little flock, you're going to be replacing the first people in. Remember in the labors, the first guys in got the penny, the last guys in got what? The penny. Okay? So the issue here in the last shall be first and the first is that they're going to replace the leaders of the nation. They're the first ones in. They're the ones that have the, the, all of the pedigree and everything. And here comes the 12 apostles and the little flock. And the Lord says, you guys are actually going to replace them. They are the latecomers, if you will. And that's what's going to happen here is that they're, they're going to get in there and they're going to be replacing the, 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 the apostate leadership, the first guys in, they're going to be replacing them. And, what, again, just remember, we've, we've really been seeing this since Matthew 4, where the Lord is out gathering them together. He's gathering that little flock together. He's identifying them. He's bringing them in. And then, again, there in, in chapter 19, he, you know, he talks there about, the 12 sitting on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes and and that's the apostles and the little flock there in that subsequent re being rewarded over the gentile nations and they're going to the many that be first shall really be last in other words the people that were here previous to them are going to have to stand aside and let that little flock go through first that's literally what he's talking about. Come over or back to chapter 11 and just notice this. And because there's a, there's a great, like I said, a great misunderstanding about first and last and last and first and so forth. 
Matthew 11, verse number 9. But what went... Um, yeah, Matthew 11, verse 9. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet. Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Now notice carefully, there's no one greater than John the Baptist that's ever showed up at any time. Born of women, of woman. All right? But now keep reading what happens. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Isn't that interesting? In the kingdom, John, now again, think about who John is. John is born of, of a woman, of women. There's no one greater than John. John is that great prophet. He announces the Messiah's coming, and yet the one in, that, in the kingdom is going to be greater than John. Though he be little, lest that last shall be first, and the first are going to go right on in after him. I hope, that's, the, that's the idea here, that the tribulation remnant that little group of people, think about John's the one that gather, begins to gather them together, begins to call them together. And then they go and they begin to follow Christ. And John bridges that gap between the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were until John and then the kingdom and everybody presses into it. Okay? The people, these people here that are embracing the kingdom, that little flock of believers, they're going to move right on in. And they're, they're literally, John, he's there first. They literally replace John. Now, John's in. Don't get, come back to Matthew 20. But that issue there in verse 16 here, so the last shall be first and the first last. That little flock, they're going to be the leaders of the nation. And they're going to show up last time-wise, if you will, that tribulation. They show up in the trib in the last days. They're going to minister in. They're going to go through. Now, we know there's more to the story because what's happened? They've been interrupted by the dispensation of grace. So what's going to happen when we're out of the way... And now the Lord starts the Israel's program back up. Now who's going to be the last? That new group, that new believing remnant there. Okay? The 12, the 12 apostles will be resurrected and set. David will be resurrected and set. Anyway, Matthew 20, verse 16. So the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called but few chosen. The, the, again, the issue here, the last are going to be first, that tribulation saints, they're going, I should have shut the office door, I guess, huh? 
they, they're, they're there, they're going to go in. Now, the end of that verse, for many, for many be called, but few chosen. And again, I said this last time, the issue here is service. It's not the whole passage that we're dealing with, actually the whole chapter, is about service. It's not about salvation. It's talking about the position and taking the position in service of Christ in his kingdom. And what happens is, is people use this passage and they quote it and they use it in regards to salvation because of many be called but few chosen. And what people do is they say, see, there are few that are elect, that's chosen, and anybody being, and, and, and everybody else is just rejected. So we got this little bitty group of people here that are believers and everybody else, and that just isn't the case when you come to Scripture. When, when you talk about the issue of election in Scripture, uh, come over to um, John 15. We'll go there. John 15. When you talk about the issue of election in, your, in Scripture, it is never associated with salvation. It's always associated with the issue of service. In Isaiah, he talking about the Lord, he says, mine elect. So if election talks about salvation, then what had to happen to the Lord Jesus Christ? He had to be saved. See? So we know that's not the case. So when you say election has to do with salvation, which is what theology does and, and Christian religion does, then you begin to muddy the waters greatly. And, and really, when you think about the, the Calvinistic terminology, uh, predestination is, is one, Paul using it there in Romans 8 and in Romans 1, really, too. When you think about predestination, what does that word mean? Well, the word defines it for you, pre Destination. Your destination has been what? Predetermined. It's pretty straightforward. No sinner has his destination predetermined. Because a sinner can do what? Get saved. See? But as a believer, my destination has been what? Predetermined. See? As a believer, where am I going to go? I'm going to the heavens. I'm going to glory. I'm up there to... You know, I get a new body. I've got all these things coming to me. Now, as an unbeliever, if I die in my unbelief, my destination has, is sealed, <laughs> the lake of fire. But I also, while I'm alive, what do I have? I have the opportunity to get saved. In Romans 8, when we'll get over there, down when we get in Romans 8 on Sunday morning, he talks about predestination to the adoption of sons, he's talking about. To, and when you think about uh, adoption, that's the issue of, to it, we get this redeem the body. We get this new body idea and so forth. So when you, when you begin to hear people throw words around like election and predestination, take a deep breath, hear them out, and, but just come back to Scripture and what does the word say? And that issue of election, I, I had years ago uh, a long-running conversation with a Calvinistic uh, believer 
which is usually hard to say that like that, but they did believe that Christ died for their sins in the end. But they would change the definition on me in our conversation. I literally, I wish I had kept, I had it, but my computer died, this is many years ago, so I lost my file. <laughs> and uh, he literally gave me five different definitions for election. And at every one, he used a verse, but he would leave a word out to make the verse say what he was trying to say because he couldn't argue, he was having a hard time arguing with the verse. So we're going to leave a word out, we're going to change it. And really a Calvinist, it, 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 ultimately someone who is a Calvinist, and, and that's someone who, you know, you got the tulip, and get all on all this, but you, someone who says that God's in control of everything, everything was predetermined before the foundation of the world to happen this way, and all this, you know, move, moving the pieces and doing, and he's got an elect. Well, if there's an elect, then why did he die? Well, he died for the elect. And then they get over here in the depravity of man and say, God's got to put faith in the man so that man can hear the gospel. And I'm like, wait a minute, if God puts faith in him, then what is he? <laughs> He's justified, it's done, but then you tell me he might not be one of the elect or not, depending on the lifestyle he lived. he got all this, you know, by the time you get out of it, no wonder you're only a one-pointer instead of a five-pointer. It's confusing. But when you come into Scripture and you begin to look at what Scripture says, you know what happens? You find out it's not, election has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with service. Look at John 15. Verse 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Now, look, notice this. It, if it's a choosing, God had to do the choosing, right? But notice, by the way, cho chosen and election are in Mark, they're, they're identified to be the definition of each other. Okay, but read the rest of verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Why did he choose them and why did he ordain them? That, the purpose, the intent, that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it. Why did God ordain them? Why did he choose them? So that they could go have what? Fruit. They could go out and bear fruit. It doesn't say anything about ordaining them or choosing them to get saved. They're already justified. It says, hey, I'm choosing, I chose them, I ordained them to go out as my servants, serve me, bear fruit, be productive. Come over to Romans 9. Yes. John 15, 16. Romans 9. Now we're going to Romans 9. Sorry, John 15, 16. So when you hear someone say, well, it, it's talking about salvation and I've chosen you. You haven't chose me. Therefore, your believing doesn't have anything to do with it. That's how they dance around it. Just remember what that verse say. I chose you to go bear fruit, to go to serve. 
Look at Romans 9, verse 11. Here's a wonderful verse. I mean, sticks, Paul sticks it right here. For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might attain, not of works, but of him that calleth. That, that, th this verse, look how that verse just reads. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that what God has chosen to do is going to be accomplished. That's what that verse is saying. What he chose to do, Romans 9, 11, is going to stand. Now, what is that purpose of God according to election? What is it? What is it? What is the purpose? Verse 12, it was said unto her, so in order that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of, not of works, but of him that calleth, that's what we're talking about, all right? It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. The purpose of God according to his choosing, his, according to election, his choosing, was that the elder was going to do what? Serve the younger. Now, who's the elder? Esau. Younger's Jacob. And which one of them did God choose? He chose Jacob. So that what would happen? His purpose, his, his choosing would be accomplished. So when you come back to Matthew 20 here, in verse 16... Again, people yank this verse out of context, and the context, again, has to do with the issue of serving in the vineyard of the Father. And it's service, that's the issue. All right? So the last shall be first, and the first are going to be last. By the way, the first, they're still going to be in the kingdom. <laughs> Everybody goes, oh, no, they're going to lose it. No, John's going to be there. But that last group in, they're going to go in first. And, I'll, and if you, when we get down in this, you get into that early Acts period, and you begin to study out what's going on. And those poor people that go through the tribulation, they've got that special status. And there's a good reason why they're the first ones in. Because they're going to take it heart worse than... Over there, and when we get over Matthew, it'll, he, uh, later in 25, 24, 25, he'll see it is great tribulation that has never been seen before. And they're going to go in. And had the Lord not interrupted the program, where were these guys going? They were going to be the last. They're going to be the first ones in. All right, verse 17. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them notice jesus took the 12 apart <laughs> uh, if you said that today in today's news media you wouldn't get away with that all right all right jesus took the 12 apart uh, he didn't go over there and say let's you know duke it out here guys you know he he's he's moved them aside he and, and he's going to talk to them behold we go to jerusalem and the son of man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death 
and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now, he's telling them what's next, what's coming, what's going to happen. If you remember chapter 16 and verse 21, 1621, and from, the time, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things and so forth, and where he sets his face to go towards Jerusalem. And what's beginning to happen here now is he's beginning to talk to them back in 20, and he's, again, reminding them that, guess what, guys? I got to go to Jerusalem, and I got to die. And, I mean, again, you can write down Luke 18, 31 to 34, where he tells them, come over to John 20, where he tells them all about going, and Peter says, no way, man, ain't going to happen. Uh, look at Luke 18. Better look at it, just to remind you. Luke 18, and then we'll get over to John 20. Luke, Luke 18, 31, then he took unto him the twelve and said unto the hem, to them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Now, notice verse 34, here's Luke's commentary. And they understood none of these things, and this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. They don't get it. Come over to John 20. They don't understand when he tells them this. They don't understand, you know, any of it. They don't know the scriptures. They're, 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 they're you know, blockheads, if you will, about this. And actually they get up and they start uh, dealing with uh, Peter, you know, rebukes the Lord and all that kind of stuff. Now in John 20, this is the, the resurrection of Christ. John 20, verse 8, then when it, uh, verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher. See if the stone, so it's resurrection morning. Verse 8, then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Look, notice that. John 20, verse 9. He's already risen, and they still don't know the scripture about it. They still, they, they, the idea that these guys were out preaching the same gospel as Paul preached or anything else is just so, they, you know what you ought to do with those people is, yea, have you not read? Because <laughs> they haven't read, all right? So what's going to happen here now is they're, they're out there doing their thing, so he's going to go to Jerusalem, come back to Matthew 20. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to die. And what literally is going to happen here now is he is beginning to tell them what's, where they're headed. Because in, in Matthew 21, when we get down there next time, we are literally a week before he dies. That's where we're at. Matthew 20, verse number 20. They don't understand that he's going to die. 
They demonstrate their lack of understanding. So notice what happens next. 2020. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee, Zebedee's children, with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Uh-oh. Here she comes. Here comes mama. All right? And it's an interesting thing. Several years ago, they had a big thing in the, in the uh, Wall Street Journal about children going to inter bringing their parents to interviews and all this kind of stuff, you know, and trying to get jobs, and mom brings them. And literally, here's a mom bringing, doing what? Bringing her kids, <laughs> you know. And uh, she begins to, uh, she's going to butter him up here a little bit. Verse 21, and he said unto her, what wilt thou? What do you want? I mean, he cuts right to the chick. What do you want? <laughs> All right. She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Hold on to here. The comparative passage Give us a little more info. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark 10. <clears throat> Mark 10, in Matthew 20 there, 21, Mark 10, verse 37. They said unto him, verse 35, and James and John, Mark 10, 35, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us. Now, this is the same thing that's happening in Matthew. It's just in Mark, the boys are talking. In Matthew, mama's talking. They're saying the same thing, though. Okay? Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. Matthew says, in thy kingdom. Mark says, in thy glory. Well, in the kingdom, what's he going to be sitting in? His glory, the throne of his glory. All right? That's what we're talking about, verse 38. But Jesus said unto them, ye know not what ye ask. I love that. You really don't understand what you're talking about. By the way, they didn't understand that he was going to go die and on the third day rise. So now they don't understand that he's going to come back in a kingdom and that kingdom's going to be that manifest. I'm sorry, they do understand that he's going to go get the kingdom, come back, and the kingdom's going to be the manifestation of his glory. They do get that. But they, they, they don't get what he's going to say to them here. They don't understand. I got to sneeze. I'm sorry. Maybe I can get it to stay down. <clears throat> All right? And really what's happening here, these guys are playing politics. That's what they're doing here. All right? Verse 20, 38, keep reading. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What Jesus is saying there is, are you guys able? Are you able, have you counted the cost 
of what's going to come? Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Verse 39, And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Now, notice quickly the cup and the baptism. All right? So the cup, it has to do with death. All right? Now, at the cross in the garden, he says, I don't let this cup pass. Now, that cup belongs to the Father. He's not talking about that cup here, okay? The Father's cup's a little different. But here, he's talking about physical death. They're all going to drink of that cup, aren't they? They're all going to physically die. All right? And that issue then of being baptized with the baptism of death, they're going to do that. Baptism, in, in Scripture, baptism is, is an issue of identity, identification, identify. As soon as people find out who these guys are identifying with, what's going to happen to them? They're going to get it. They're going, they're going to die. Okay? So the issue here has to do with the issue of death. Now, when he talks about, come back to Matthew, but come back to 26. Matthew 26, verse 42. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. That's the Father's cup. That's not the cup that he's talking about with these guys back in Matthew 20. All right, But notice, when you come back to Matthew 20, he says, you know, we are able, verse 23, and he said unto them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup. And Matthew, I'm in Matthew 20, all right? But then he says, um, verse 23, and he said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. So the question is, is all right, who is that? Who's sitting on his right hand and his left hand? Well, I don't know, to be honest with you. I'll give you an idea. Come back to chapter 17 of Matthew. I just give you a, an idea of a couple guys that show up in Matthew 17. Matthew 17, verse 3. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, Elijah, talking with him. Could it not be that Moses and Elijah are the two guys? Moses is that great lawgiver, giver of the law. Elijah is the great representative of the prophets. Could that be? Could be. I don't know. There's no, 
when you think about what he says there, it's prepared of them by the Father, back in the end there of verse 23, well, who shows up <laughs> with the Lord in his glory? Matthew 17, the transfiguration, the eyewitness of his glory. There sits those two gentlemen. So it very well could be. Go back to Matthew 20. I, just something to think about. I, I don't know. I can't give you a, you know, it's going to be this way or not, or there's the door, you know, thing. It's because there's not, but those two guys show up. They're the two witnesses down the road um, in the book of the Revelation. In the tribulation period, they would, that would be a special honor for him, for them to sit on his right hand and on his left hand. So then it's like, okay, well then who's first? Well, how, how, does he, how are they listed in Matthew 17? Who, how is it listed? Moses and Elias. Okay, and then in verse 4, when Peter talks, it's one for Moses and one for Elijah. So it could be Moses, Jesus, and Elias, Elijah. I don't know. It's just, you know, crazy people. You say something and people, well, who's first? How about the guy in the middle? <laughs> you know, the Lord. How about him first? Anyway, go back to Matthew 20, uh, verse 24. Because watch what happened. I mean, you think about, he's talking about the kingdom here. So you got Moses, the Lord, and Elijah. Then you're going to have the 12 tribes. You're going to have David resurrected. Then you're going to have the 12 tribes sitting on the 12 thrones, judging the 12, I mean, I'm sorry, the 12 apostles on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes, and they're judging the Gentile nations ruling over them. So that's what we're talking about here. And uh, they, you know, like I said, it's just a probable, and uh, it could be. We'll, We'll find out one day. Verse 24, And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. They got mad. They're jealous of what's going on. But notice how your Bible here said that. The ten get jealous at the two. Are you familiar with the division in Israel's history of ten and two? Ten northern tribes, the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And the ten northern tribes all through their history hated their southern sisters. They were jealous of them. Just interesting. Yeah, it just kind of worked out that way, exactly. The two parts and that age-old jealousy and the contention that comes between them constantly, over and over again through the Old Testament. Verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It's very interesting that what the Lord says is in my kingdom, it will not be based on political power. 
It will not be based on dictatorship. It will not be based on a dominion and authority like the Gentiles. Rather, it is going to be based upon being a servant and service. And you know, Paul says that about us in the heavenly places. We're not going to be lording over. You, you come, on, come over there to Mark 10. I, 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 Mark says it. Mark 10, verse 42. You see, what the Lord says here about the Gentiles and the government, oh, man, is it so true even today. Look at Mark 10, 42. But Jesus, excuse me, but Jesus called them to him and saith unto him, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. You know what the Gentiles do? They go in and they lord over everything. So when you come back to Matthew 20 and verse 25, this is a tremendous statement by the Lord about the Gentile dominion and what he says here about the government of the governments of the Gentiles. You know what he says? They're a bunch of self-conceited, self-righteous, self-glorying dictators. That's what they are. Now, we know that God established government. That's the powers that be, Romans 13, Titus, and so forth. 2 Timothy. But you know what they are? They're filled with who? Sinful men. Now, there are some believers that are involved in the politics, and I understand that, but look at what they are. That's a very good estimation of, govern of the Gentiles governing. And when you look around us today, guess what you see? Same thing. Doesn't matter D or R or I or B or P or whatever party. It's the same. They're all cut from the same cloth. One's just, you know, that, that is, no, they're all the same. Somebody asked me one time years ago, uh, Bill Clinton was in office and uh, George Bush Jr. was just come in and uh, the uh, under under little notions that uh, President Obama was going to come. And they're like, what do you think? And I said, I think Romans 13 is right. <laughs> That's what I think. And what's government, what is government's role? To, to deal with the evil and to promote the good. So let's go that way. Well, you know, this or that. No. What does Romans 13 say? Let's do that. See. Now, when you come back in here to Matthew 20, that's what we're talking about. He, the Lord comes in, and you know what he says? This, you guys, my 12, are thinking like the Gentiles think out there. And that ain't how it's going to happen. Now, come over, come over to Luke 16. Luke 16 thinking about this, Luke 16, and look at verse 15. And he said unto them, 
Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. Now watch. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The nations and their governments are just that way. They're highly esteemed among who? Men. And you know what? The, you know what the estimation of Gentile rule by the king is there, it's abominable. And uh, even in a country like ours that has a little different heritage and a little different foundation, it's still what? Abominable. Come over to John 18. John 18. Look at Pilate here when he deals with the Lord, and the Lord deals with Pilate. John 18, verse 33. John 18, 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? <laughs> I, I look at that, I go, you know, there's the Lord's sarcasm and humor and the ability to stick it where it needs, stick it to him, you know. He says, did you figure that out yourself, or did somebody over here tell you? Now watch Pilate, verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? I'm not one of you guys. I didn't get information from, the, from other. I don't get my information from you people. Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. When he says that, when we went through John, we spent a little time here. You know what he's saying is, my kingdom is not like your kingdom. Where a bunch of lost, no good, dirty, rotten people are running it. That's not the kind of kingdom that I'm going to have, is what he's saying. Now keep reading. Then would my servants fight. I'm sorry, I, skipped, I missed a part there. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Now, when he says that, but my, now my, is my kingdom not from hence, he's not, ta he's not saying that my kingdom won't ever be down here on the earth. That's what the critical thinkers say. And how they say it is your new Bibles leave out the, that word now, but now, now is gone. They, it says, but my kingdom is, is my kingdom not from hence. <laughs> they mess that up. What he's saying, and by the way, they do that because they don't understand he's making a dispensational statement. It's not time for my kingdom to be here. It's coming, but it's on its own time. Right now, the world system belongs to the adversary, and... Uh, that's not how his kingdom's going to run. Come back to Matthew 20. One day it will be here, though. Revelation, you write down Revelation 11, verse 15. 
which is the connection verse there to John. And uh, he says there that uh, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. See? Right here, right now, the kingdom isn't here. Something else is going on. But coming, it's going to get here. And when it comes, we're not going to operate, we're not going to run it like the Gentiles run their dictatorship. By the way, Rome, even though it had a senate and all that, who was in charge of it? Caesar was. And he dictated. And the senate and all those guys tried to curb him. Finally, they kill him or whatnot. But, it, you know, he was still pushing the buttons. All right, Matthew 20. Get on down through here and finish this up. Verse 26. Matthew 20, 26. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let, you, let him be your minister, and whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. You want to be great? You know, what, you know who the great one in the kingdom is? The great one is that bond slave over there, out there running around, doing, waiting on the master's table. That's the one that's going to be great, the, ma the minister, the, the slave. You, you know, we, we look at that, verse 27, whosoever will be chief, you know, the big guy, boom, boom. You know what the Lord says? Nope, you misunderstand. In my kingdom, what is it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added and his righteousness and all those things shall be added. That's the issue. The characteristics of the kingdom is you want to be first in his kingdom, then you're going to be last. You be that servant. It's all about service, service, service. And the reason he's doing this is because in a week or two, he's gone. And then in a month or so, he's going to ascend, and they're there on their own. And in that early Acts period, you know what they've got to know how to do? Serve. Go out and serve. Get that little flock going. Keep them going. Occupy. Move them. Get them ready for that 70th week of Daniel to come. Get them there. Move them. Move them. Move them. That's why in Acts 1, he says he's 40 days with them, speaking to them things pertaining to the kingdom. That's why. He's getting them ready. Verse 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Boy, what a verse. You want to be in my kingdom? You need to be like your king. You want to minister? The Lord says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And what did he do? He gave his life a ransom for many. That's a wonderful dispensational verse there. And people abuse that, and they come along, and they, they begin to use what's called the doctrine of limited atonement, because it's just for the many. And not for the all. Because many isn't everybody. It's only that, that chosen elect group. See how they just spin that stuff. But limited atonement. You know what they miss? 
they miss 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, where Paul says that he was a ransom for all. And I'm the due time testifier of that. See, they don't like those verses. You know, they, they disregard that. They come along and they say, nope, that's not what it is. See? So they bring in a doctrine of limited atonement. It's just limited to the chosen. Few, many are called, but few chosen. Woohoo, there we are. We're the chosen ones. And again, what's been the issue in this whole chapter? Salvation or service? Service. And he says, look, guys, you want to see what the service is really all about? Look at what I'm going to go do now. I'm going to go, and I am going to give my life, John says, for my friends. And you're my friends. And off he goes. Now, verse 29. And as they departed from Jericho... And behold, two blind men sitting by the way side. When they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O, the, o Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on, on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. This is the last time that the Lord, is Jesus Christ, is presented as the son of David. He's here. He's in Jericho. Jericho is that place where Joshua entered into the promised land. Jericho is a place where, God, where the curse of God, it's a cursed city, Joshua 6. It's a place where the curse of God had long dwelt. But when Jesus comes into the place, what happens to that curse? It's lifted. It's gone. He took it away. So he comes through Jericho, and these two blind men, in Mark 10, it's the blind man Bartimaeus. That's who we're talking about. By the way, Mark and Luke says there's only one blind man. Mark gives gives his name, Bartimaeus. And we've seen that happen before, you know, through our studies in Luke, where we'll, you'll see Matthew will say that there are two. Mark and Luke will say one. And again, the reason for that is Matthew is focusing in on the dispensational significance of what Christ is doing to the two houses of Israel. The ten and two, exactly. See, Mark is going to, when we get over to Mark, probably next year, Mark's going to look at it as the, as the servant. Luke is looking at it as the son of man. Matthew is, here's what's happening to the houses of it, the two houses of Israel. And what are they declaring? He's the son of David. See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three here now. This event, by the way, is in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because these are the last days of our Lord's life right here. 
in chapter 21, we are literally, we begin with his entry into Jerusalem. That's literally a week out before Calvary. It's that fast. And what we're seeing then is we're seeing that he is now going to be presented as the son of Abraham. If you remember Matthew 1.1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, wait a minute. Abraham was before David. But in the laying out, he is being presented as the king first. Now as the son of Abraham, he's going to come in now as that sacrifice, as that blessing to the nation of Israel. So here we sit, less than a week out, he's going to hang on the cross, he's going to die, and the last thing that we see as he's going to Jerusalem are these two blind men, just like the spiritual condition in Israel, blind as a bat flying backwards in a dark cave, as dad would say. Here they are, they look out and they cry. And they declare him as the son of David. And again, they pass on. What did, they, what did those guys say? Knock it off. Be quiet. The multitude, verse 31, rebuked them. The opposition. <laughs> trying to shut them up. They just cried the more. Verse 32, and Jesus stood still. That's wonderful. I, I think about that stand. He just stood still. You know, the storm, the opposition, just quieted all down. And called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and the kicker is, and they followed him. That's what it's all about. You see, our Lord opened the eyes of those that believed on him as their Messiah. They recognized him as the son of David, who he was. And then you know what they did? They followed him. And that is a wonderful picture, a wonderful type. One little last glimpse here, the statement that is who, about who he is, who he was, and the fact that the multitudes rejected that. But here is what he would do for them that would believe. So you have a picture, a figure, a type of that true remnant out there in that future day who's going to wait for him and would recognize him. They would own him for who he is. And then when they would see him, they go about, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to remove that curse from creation, from them, from us. And these guys are going to go into that early Acts period, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to look back at these events, and they said, that's what could happen. It happened back there. It can happen now. 
the tribulation saints. You go over and you read in the Hebrew epistles, and you know what? Just like Doubting Thomas was a picture of those that have never seen him, but yet believe. Here they are. And again, once again, demonstrating that he is who he claimed to be. So now he's going to go to Jerusalem to die and uh, to focus on him being the son of Abraham. That perfect sacrifice. Isaac, Genesis 22, up on the hill. There he is. Thine only son. And he's going to go and do it. So we'll pick up in 21 in two weeks. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the study of your word, the ability to have your word and to study it and to see what's going on and to rejoice in who you are and who you were for the nation of Israel as the son of David and who you're going to be for the nation of Israel as the son of Abraham, but ultimately for who you are for us, our Savior. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.